I love our home family. Um, yeah, it's so much fun being together. So much fun seeing what God's doing. That's right. Two years ago, two years ago, we were um, maybe 10 of us, I think, uh, if that, in an Airbnb in South End, very early days of the table, um, praying, dreaming, um, wondering if anyone else would join us. And here we are. And, and every week is testimony to the faithfulness of God. He doesn't just promise and then leave his word void or hope that somehow we can figure it out. But he, with the power of his hand, accomplishes what he promises in our lives. And um, it's just a beautiful thing to look around this room and think two years in the midst of COVID and God established our community, a church here in Boston. What a joy amongst many other churches and communities who love Jesus um, because Boston needs many, many thriving communities that bring the kingdom of God. I just want to say one thing um, that's um, important news from my side, and then we're going to delve into Genesis again together. Um, but we are growing. <laughs> the chairs are getting filled up um, each week. I have to say, guys, please, please come early so that your pastor doesn't have a heart attack every week. But at 10 a.m., I wonder, is it just going to be the five of us? And then I get up to preach, and I think, where did you all come from? And... Um, but it's a beautiful thing that we are growing. And so as a team, we're really praying about next steps, what God is leading us into. We, we want to follow the voice of Jesus and not just grow comfortable where we are. It's easier to stay where we are, but we really want to be sensitive to what God is saying and doing. And as part of that, we want to steward family together well. And so if you are in a serving team this afternoon, you will receive an email from us. It is a very simple survey on a Google Doc. It's three questions multiple choice answers. It will take you all of one minute to fill in, but it will really help us as a team. We're praying through some big things um, and it will be wonderful to have um, family input. So please check your emails this afternoon. Just fill out that Google Doc for us. If you're not part of a serving team, but you're curious, join a serving team and you'll get that email. Okay. Right, let's delve straight into Genesis. Last week, if you were here, I started really a two-part um, message on Genesis 1, 3, 3. And we're going to get, hopefully, as far as we can, ooh, pencil, um, as far as we can with it today. This is all about being a people of the garden and the river. I find that often sermons on Genesis 1, 3, 3 focus on Genesis 1 and then Genesis 3, and Genesis 2 is kind of Ah, filling in the middle that we don't take too much time over. Uh, but I want to read together Genesis 2 and some of Genesis 3. And, and really, we're going to focus very much on what it means to be a people of Eden. Um, because God is restoring all things. And he's inviting us to be a people who really understand life from the garden and allow Holy Spirit to lead us to be living from the place of the garden and the river. So let's read together. I'm going to pick up from verse 7. The Lord God, this is chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. And different stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Notice the river starts in the garden, but overflows from the garden to fill up the land around the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree, every single tree of the garden. That's a lot of trees. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you shall eat it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. The Hebrew word there is literally to be in a state of separation. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and, threw the, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. Notice the naming of the animals is intended as an introduction to, uh, to Adam to see if he can find a helper. That's the whole purpose here. And the reason I'm underlining that is because uh, people have run away with the naming of the creatures with all sorts of different connotations. But Genesis is very clear what was happening in that moment. This was not a moment of Adam exercising his separate authority. This was not a moment of Adam exercising something that would be dominion over the woman later on. This was a fact-finding mission of let me introduce each animal to you. Yes, you get to name them, but the purpose was only one thing. Is any of them fit as a helper? That's the purpose of this moment. That's what God was doing. We need to read what the Bible says God was doing and not what we wanted to say God was doing. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, for the first time in creation, in creating a living being, God doesn't use the dust of the ground. He uses the very substance of Adam, lest maybe many years later, Someone might say that they are of unequal substance. God creates the man from the dust, and then he creates a woman from the same substance as the man. He causes him to sleep. He takes one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man again. It's the same thing that had happened with the animals. The fact-finding mission is continuing. Here's a new creation. 
Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, very substance of my substance, flesh of my flesh, equal in every way, down to the cells in my body, she is equal to me. She shall be called woman, why? Because she was taken out of man. She is the exact counterpart that he's been searching for, but did not find in creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They are two sides of the same coin. And in this moment, Adam is able to recognize this beautiful equality standing before him that was missing in creation up until this point. A story of incredible partnership. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. See, the way God wanted to create humanity, humanity and community was to create uh, in Adam the understanding of his need for a partner. Why did God do this two-step creation? What's the point, right? He, we know from Genesis 1 that he spoke to man and woman, gave them the same destiny, the same promises, the same permission. So why bother making them in this way? Why bother announcing it's not good for Adam to be alone? As if what? It just occurred to God? Like the God who knew how to create stars and the whole world and create the man suddenly went, oh, duh, I didn't think of that. Hello, right? He's saying these things because he's bringing revelation to us so that Adam would understand, hey, you are wonderful. Hey, all this is amazing, but it is incomplete if you are not in partnership. It is incomplete if you do not have the substance of your substance as an equal partner. It is incomplete. The only thing in all of creation that is not good is you to be in a state of separation. Isn't it tragic then that the church consistently tries to make man and woman separate again in a term of hierarchy because we have not understood what was not good at the beginning. He has no interest in man being in a state of separation. Man had dominion over the animals. It was not good to have dominion over everything. There needed to be one that was his counterpart. This is why it's so important we get this right. This is not, I try to be careful in this community that we don't keep preaching on this as if it becomes a pet project. There is a whole gospel to speak out, not just equality. But gosh, equality is a gospel issue. It is important that we understand this. If not, we revert to taking creation to something that was pronounced not good by God himself. He was not to be all on his own in a role up there in control of everyone else. He needed a counterpart, exactly his match with him. And you know, the way we read helper, this isn't my sermon, this is just introduction, but we're going to do this. (laughs) But this is what it looks like to be a people of the garden and of the river. Because this is part of how it was created and designed. You know, when we read the word helper, depending on your perspective, that word has different meanings, right? I can ask my children to help me in the laundry. They are my helpers. What I mean by that word and what is understood by that word is that they're not as good at the thing as I am, but I'm being kind and inclusive in that moment. 
or my children can ask me to help them get something that is out of their reach. I, in that perspective, we understand that the person who's the helper is actually in a superior place of strength, is in a superior place, and is able, therefore, to give of their strength to help someone, right? The word helper that's used here it is a word that by far the majority of times that is used in scripture is used of God. It is used of the help that comes from God. So far from being, oh, help me, Jesus, we're just going to include you, but we don't really need you. It is much more, help me, I am desperate because my strength is insufficient, but I know that you have superior strength to give to me. That's why when Jesus promises the helper and the person of the spirit, he's not telling us that five-year-old baby spirit is going to come and we get to include him. He's saying God himself in spirit will come and help you because you are insufficient but you need his strength depending on your perspective will be how you read this word and we get to choose that but everything in the context of this chapter is not talking about an inferior being created but someone who was going to come at least in match to strength because she was necessary we have to read these words according to the context of this book and every Bible scholar will tell you that is the way to read scripture you don't go hunting for context elsewhere if context is made abundantly clear in the chapter if you do that you will twist the words of the chapter to make it mean what you wish they meant okay let's keep going Jesus help me now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord God that the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God actually say, whenever anyone has that kind of conversation with you, run? Just a word of wisdom in your life. Sometimes you'll find Christians start sentences that way. Run. I want to tell you that whatever God has spoken over your life is going to need courage, which means you want to surround yourself with people who will understand the impossible and will increase courage in you rather than bring skepticism to decrease courage in you. Surround yourself with people who walk enough faith journeys to know that the crazy stuff is possible if God is in it. Right? You want to surround yourself with people who walk in fruit. Okay? So not just people who love the crazy, but their life is in shambles. Okay? <laughs> this is what it means to find wise counsel according to kingdom wisdom. Find people who are doing the crazy but have the fruit for it. They'll tell you all the right stuff and they won't start sentences with, did God actually say? It's a terrible framework for a question. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No, he didn't is the answer to that. God didn't actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So the whole question is designed to muddle, confuse, and to portray God inaccurately. And the woman said to the serpent, she enters into conversation, bad idea. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Now she adds her own little exaggeration in the moment. Maybe she didn't learn very well the exact command but anyway close enough lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die 
Again, uh, bringing in doubt. What is the character of God? Is he withholding? Can you really trust what he says? Does he want your good? All things that the enemy has on his agenda for you and I. This is his agenda 24-7 towards you and I. To constantly ask, did God actually say that? Is God really like that? Oh, his word, mm, do you really want to trust that? That is his constant agenda because he knows if we hear God and we believe him and we follow him, we will be uncertain unstoppable. He can't stop God, but he can stop us if he gets us to stop trusting Jesus. You got to just know how he works. This is just part of it. Sometimes as Christians, we're so surprised. We're taken off guard. Like why? His tactic is the same and it has been for thousands of years. We just got to read our Bibles and then recognize it. Filter what the conversations that are happening in your mind. They're not happening to you. You have control over the conversations you enter into in your, in your own mind. You can say, no, leave me alone. I'm not having that conversation. You can pick up scripture to drown out that voice. You can start worshiping to drown out that voice. You can phone a friend and say, you need to help me drown out that voice because something is telling me not to do the crazy things God has called me to. You will not surely die, he lies. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. She already was. And that's the tragedy. She was made in his image. <laughs> Man and woman unique in all of creation not made according to their kind as every repetition goes in genesis 1 but made according to the very image of god the enemy sells her what she already owns that is what religion will do for you and i all of the time what you already own by grace religion will try to sell you through striving and legalism and it will bind you and it will chain you up in the process what is yours by grace, run with it. Do not allow the enemy to try to sell you what has already been given you freely. Knowing good and evil. See, there's always an element of truth. They would know good and evil. The point is God was trying to get them to avoid knowing evil. <laughs> He's trying to protect them from something that is poison, right? It's like me giving you a glass and saying, you, you know, you want to know the taste of every drink in front of you one of them has poison but you do want to know the taste of all of them no I'm actually really good drinking the ones that don't have poison and leaving poison there right there's a wisdom and understanding I want to know goodness not evil but he's holding it out to her like it's a gem and a treasure so when the woman saw the tree was good for food See, often the choice on the surface looks brilliant. Some of us are only ready to fight temptation that looks terrible. <laughs> That's not how temptation works. You're like, I'm really strong in my faith. If it looks horrible, I won't go there. Okay, heads up. Temptation is going to look really great. It's not going to look horrible. On the surface, it's going to look fantastic. You'll just have a niggle in you that you probably shouldn't be going where you're going, doing what you're doing, watching what you're watching, right? It's going to look fantastic on the surface. It will kill you. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What kind of wisdom are you seeking? She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Notice Adam was there that whole time. 
just said nothing at all, watched her have a conversation. Sometimes in community, we're present while we're watching someone go further and further and further into something that will destroy them. And we say nothing at all. Let us not be family like that. Let us be a family who say, hey, you're getting really close to that fire. Hey, you're going to get burnt. Right? N- not, not to be kind of embarrassed or, oh, uh, must it be in relationship enough with people so that you have the invitation to speak into their lives. If you don't have the invitation to speak into people's lives, where are you in community? Because if there's no one in the church who you would feel comfortable coming alongside them and saying, hey, that's probably not a good idea, I want to suggest you haven't made friends deep enough. Because when we have relationship with people, we journey with them enough to be able to say, I think you're going off the, off the track here. Don't do it. Right? So build deep so that we can do that for one another. Don't watch someone drive off a cliff edge and just watch it without facing your own fear to just speak up and say some truth. He was with her <laughs> and he also ate and the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Suddenly their state becomes a shame-filled one and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then it goes on, (laughs) God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, there's so much else that happens, but we're going to stop there. Just going to remind you of a verse in John 20. And then we'll start talking about the garden and the river a bit more. In John 20, and we talked about this last week when I introduced Genesis 1. The whole Gospel of John should be read alongside Genesis 1 to 3. (laughs) They're very much the same book, just in different moments. They're talking about creation the whole time. The whole uh, way that the Gospel of John is written is giving us an understanding of the restoration of Eden coming through Jesus. And it's intentional all the way through. It starts in the beginning in the same way that Genesis 1 starts in the beginning. It's intentional. There's a moment in John 20 which is unique to the Gospel of John in the account of the resurrection. None of the other Gospels mention it because it's not part of the intention of the other Gospels. It is part of the intention of the gospel of John where Mary sees Jesus after Jesus has been risen from the dead she doesn't recognize him she's gone to the tomb they're looking for Jesus the angels have appeared she's crying she's saying where have they taken his body she's so confused then she spots Jesus it says and there's just this throwaway comment mistaking him for the gardener there is a clue in there for us That Jesus, he is a new gardener of a new Eden. He has come to restore what was lost in the first garden. That's not just an incidental, it doesn't matter. Mary, you're so weird, of course he's not. No, no, there's intentionality in that in the book. It's waking us up. In the beginning, it starts. And here is the amazing ultimate gardener who knows how to steward all of creation. Everything that was given away has now been taken back And interestingly, all of the horrible hierarchy and power play that comes between man and woman, the first thing that Jesus does is reinstate woman as equal again. 
He speaks to Mary and he releases Mary. It's a beautiful moment. We can't miss it. We shouldn't miss it. And where Jesus goes, we follow, which means, hey, church, we need to live in Genesis 2. We need to live in a completely different context in our hearts and minds, understanding that Genesis 1 happened, Genesis 3 happened, but Jesus has restored everything. A new gardener inviting us to come and tend the very same garden with the same authority that was given to Adam and Eve. So what does it look like for us to live according to Genesis 2? A few brief things. 11.30, Jesus help us. I want to say just... The Bible is so rich. This is treasure we hold. Every day, you and I are invited to eat a feast when we look at these words. I get up here on Sunday sometimes, and I'm like, how am I going to say all that can be found here? Of course, it's impossible, and that's not the point of preaching. The point of preaching is to whet the appetite so you go home and you continue to eat the feast. There is so much here for us to discover. But we're just going to pick through a couple of things. I want to talk about in the garden and the river, there is the promise of the presence of the Lord, where man is not in a state of separation, but man is very much united with the Lord and with his counterpart and community. See, we talk, we see in, in Genesis 3 that God's habit was to walk in the garden. That there's this ease in relating to the Lord in Genesis 2. That's what we're invited into. It's only in Genesis 3 that suddenly fear comes in their relationship with God. Suddenly hiding is required in their minds in their relationship with God. Suddenly what was easy becomes difficult and something to shy away from rather than lean into. But for you and I as a believer, God is inviting us into that place of ease in communion with him. And I want to labor this point because there are far too many Christians who are still afraid of the presence of the Lord, who still are hiding somewhere behind some tree, trying to follow Jesus at the same time as trying to hide from Jesus. And I want to say to you, you're settling for far too low if you haven't found ease in your relationship with God. That's not the same thing as being overly familiar with him. He is very much God and we are very much not, but he's inviting us by his mercy and grace to walk comfortably with him, to be known by him fully, not to fear anything from him, but to know that he is good, that he is trustworthy, and he will lead us into sweet spaces if we follow him. Shame that comes to take us away into a place of separation from the presence of God is from the devil himself. God is not interested in you hiding. You know, God knows your weaknesses, your sins, your mistakes more clearly than you do. It's funny that we would think we understand ourselves better than him or have a prospector that's superior to him. That's like my children who are in the midst of a tantrum, who've got so confused, they don't even know which way is up. Them thinking in that moment that they understand their needs more than I do. Believe me in that moment, I understand it clearer than them. It takes them time to catch up to what I already knew. This is the way it is with God. He sees us, the beauty is he doesn't count it against us. He is banishing shame. He's banishing the 
feeling that you are not enough, that you are not good enough, that you need to somehow prove yourself more. That's the point of the cross. You can't prove yourself. I want to set you straight today. You're not good enough. You never will be. There's nothing you can earn. So you might as well quit right now. That's what the cross and resurrection means. It's Jesus taking you by the hand. You are piggybacking on Jesus. Everything that he did that was perfect that you would never be able to do is counted on your account now. And none of your mistakes are counted against you. What a beautiful thing. It's an invitation for us to enter into. It's the presence of God, the ease of his presence. And there's everything that you're seeing in Genesis 2. Think about other places where you see that. Right in the midst of this story of creation and people and animals, it's, it's kind of awkward, but there's this large chunk about a river. A river that waters Eden and overflows from Eden. It's kind of giving us some geographic location, but not real. What, what's going on here? Where else have we heard of a river? Where else have we heard of something that overflows from the place of the presence? Because we have to understand that Eden is a type of temple. Temple being somewhere that carries the presence of God. Eden was the first temple. Then you have the tabernacle. Then you have the temple. Then you have the second temple. Then you have Jesus, who is the ultimate temple. Then we're invited to be the temples of the Spirit. Then you see the new Jerusalem that is built exactly like the Holy of Holies because there is an eternal temple temple which is only really important because it's about containing holding encountering overflowing with the presence of God that's who we are as the church that's why we won't settle for what man could accomplish you cannot be the temple of God and only look for what human beings can do I'm constantly praying Holy Spirit overflow from us so that this temple will actually do what a temple was meant for and people will encounter your presence as they encounter me if all we're looking for is for people to be introduced to us when they encounter us we've not understood what a temple is you are a walking Eden. You are a walking temple of the presence of God. And if we understand that and if we walk in the flow of the river, see, you see in um, Ezekiel 47, this picture of the water that flows, a river that flows from the temple. Listen, those reading the scriptures, they would know, hey, there was a river in Eden. It watered all of that ground. See, you got to drink from the river yourself. It's got to water you. It's got to nourish you. You can't be in drought and expect others to receive overflow it doesn't work that way but if you're being watered if the river is nourishing you you will find healing in the river you will find life in the river dead things that touch that river come to life and then we see Jesus standing up where in which gospel oh John 7 it is funny that Genesis gospel and he stands up and he says what does he say come to me and drink Everyone who thirsts, are you thirsty today? Because I know I am. Come and drink and out of you, I will cause rivers 
of living water to flow. You are the new temple and a river flows in you and a river flows from you, not only in the boundary of Eden, but overflows to water land far outside of the boundary. What a promise. What a picture. I want to understand what it means to be a woman living in the temple of Eden, being nourished by the river there and allowing that river to flow up from me and overwhelm all who meet me. That's the invitation. It's a people of his presence. It's a people who understand what it means to be in relationship, in absolute unity, down to the cells of our body, who feel no shame in relationships because we have been freed from shame by the gospel of Jesus. That's why one of our values as a church is to be an open people. And by that we mean you don't have to perform when you come here. You don't have to somehow put on your religious armor and pretend that what you were doing last week was brilliant or how you're feeling today is great. Someone said to me today, how are you feeling? And I was like, I feel great now, but in the interest of honesty, I was exhausted before I got here and I was not feeling for this meeting. It's important that we say that to one another rather than all paste on a sickly religious smile and act like that's what's required of us. We will die if that's what we do because we're not living in the reality of relationship that we find in Genesis. Fake it till you make it is not something that we can have here. Now, I'm not saying we live in our brokenness, we celebrate it, we just say, this is me, take it or leave it. Uh, It's only when we're open that we can actually invite the wholeness of the spirit to come and be our reality. So I'm saying, come as you are, but come hungry and let him feed you, let him heal you, let him grow you, let him challenge you, let him shape you, let him nourish you so that you can be all that you were made to be living in a fallen world, but understanding what it means to be of a different world. See, Jesus says it in that wonderful gospel, John. You're going to get this in the end, right? (laughs) How many times can I reference John here? John 17, praying to the Father, talking about how we are not of this world. Why? Because we're of an Eden world. We're of a completely different reality a fallen world around us, us living a completely different reality, picking up the baton from Jesus where Adam and Eve failed to restore all that was lost in that garden. So it's a garden and a river of his presence. It's a garden and a river of beautiful union in relationship to be fully known. And there's too much to talk about this, but it is intentional that Adam and Eve were created. It is intentional how the Bible defines marriage. The two parts of the same coin are important in the reflection of the absolute unity that God invites us into. You see more of that in Ephesians 5, a vastly misunderstood chapter about the beauty of marriage. But Ephesians 5 talks all about how husband and wife joined together in union, a head and body, not a decapitated body, not a bodiless head, but in union together, 
all parts being equal, right? Earlier uh, in a different letter, Paul talks about how ridiculous it would be for one element of the body to say to another, you're not as important as me. I don't need you. No, no, every part, the head needs the body and the body needs the head in equal measure for a human being to walk around. I'm a doctor, so I can tell that. Scientifically, I know you need both in equal measure. But why? Why man and woman joined in marriage? To be a prophetic picture of how Christ loves his church and has united himself to his people, not as a superior to the inferior, but has raised the church up into his own body to lead with him. That's the point of Ephesians. And when we get that wrong in marriage, when we say, no, 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 the head is over the body, what we do is not just vastly, vastly misrepresent what God intended in Genesis 1. We do something far more damaging. We misrepresent what God wants to do in Christ united to the church. We say to the church, no, 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 you don't have the same resource as the son. No, 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 you're inferior to the son. No, 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 you have not been joined in unity to the son. That is a lie from the pit of hell because Ephesians 1 and 2 tell us so clearly that we who were once so far away, he brought near, raised us up and seated us in Christ Jesus to be co-heirs with him. That's why it matters how we order marriage. Because marriage is prophesying to the world. A man and a woman together representing Christ and his body, the church. Genesis is an amazing book. Presence-filled, beautiful equality and fruitfulness. No hiding, no shame. Notice power play, hierarchy, blame game, all comes after the fall. Rulership of one over the other comes after the fall. Let's not defend what happens after the fall. Let's allow our new gardener to lead us to tend the garden together. Great. I want to invite us to stand. I hope this is making sense to you. There's so much more in this story. But I felt God just stirring me as we worshipped together. That really he wants to land on this thought of being a people of the river. You and I, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, a walking Eden. You're a walking Eden. With rivers gushing. And some of us. We can read those verses and mentally understand, yes, there is a river, I get it, I I get the logic. But we can feel so far from that inwardly. We can feel so dry, like we are in drought. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't know drought. (laughs) He really doesn't. It's the picture of a river. This isn't a well, this isn't a bucket. This is a river springing forth life again and again and again and again. There is no drought in Eden. And so if you're feeling that, that's okay. We can be honest with that. We can come to Jesus, but Jesus wants to allow you to experience rivers of living water in you and overflowing from you again. 
That is the expectation of every believer. Holy Spirit, our great helper. <laughs> our great helper. Come help me, Holy Spirit. Come help me, Holy Spirit. Some of us, we just need to get really good at that prayer. When was the last time you just prayed, come help me, Holy Spirit. Help me with the anxiety that I'm grappling with. Help me with my offense against others. That is actually, I want to be really clear on this. If we hold offense against anyone else, that is something we have to deal with. Not expect others to deal with. Offense is an issue of your heart, not someone else's. We have to ask, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to forgive. Help me to walk free. Some of us struggling in sin cycles because we haven't understood that when we're invited by the enemy to experience both good and evil, it will kill us. God is saying to you, no, only good. See, the world is like a obsessive, gluttonous eater of anything that it can consume. And some of us become like that as the people of God, unable to stop this insatiable appetite simply to consume, whether it's good or evil, simply to just keep eating. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Stop me. Teach me how to eat what is good and leave what is evil. Some of us need to stop listening to the news because we have no ability to listen without consuming good and evil. Some of us need to get off social media because we have no ability and self-control to consume only the good. We sit for hours and consume good and evil. These are realities, practicalities in our days. Stop consuming evil. You don't need to know everything. God said to Adam and Eve, you don't need to know everything. Trust me when I tell you, you don't need to consume everything. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Rivers of living water, we invite you <laughs> to come and flood the temple. We invite you, Spirit of the living God, to fill us up, to drench us. For those who are feeling like they are in a personal place of drought, I just want to encourage you, lift up your hands. Invite Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, won't you come and fill afresh in the name of Jesus. Rivers flow and flow and flow and overflow, overflow. That we would get such an infilling of the Spirit of God and we would be a temple, an Eden that allows the river to flow far beyond our boundaries to bring life wherever it goes. Be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. And there are gifts that the Spirit gives. One of them is a gift of tongues, which is what just happened to me. But they are gifts that overflow from us. And tongues is something that's just a different language that God gives that overrides our brain, but our spirits communicate with God. I want to encourage you, church, grow in this gift. I want to encourage you, pursue the gifts of the Spirit that are in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a means of playing in that river again and again and again and allowing the river to overflow from you. Be filled afresh. Table Boston, we are to be a people of the garden and a people of the river. 
Do you know what was God's intention in the garden? Was for the man to work. Your place of work is a blessing. Do you see, do you know what you see in John again and again? Jesus keeps saying, I am about the work of my Father. That word is used intentionally. Why? Because work is a means of bringing the river everywhere you go. Your work is not a curse. It is a means of the blessing of God. Yes, really. Let the river flow in your workplace. Let the river flow and overflow from your boundary lines to bring life wherever you go in Jesus' name. Just, uh, we're going to end soon, but the presence of God is here. Just let's invite him to increase what he's doing. We love your presence, Lord. We love what you're doing. If you're sensing God on you in a physical way, you're sensing your body respond to his presence, that's a biblical thing. We see that in scripture. Our bodies are designed to recognize his presence. If you're feeling his presence on you, why don't you just lift up your hands right now? I want to bless what God is already doing. I, I really felt as Katya was preaching about a people of the river, there's some of you, you have lost the effervescent nature of the joy of his salvation. Yeah. And it's just become a chore for you. Right now, God's going to restore the river of God to begin to flow, the effervescent joy of heaven. So Holy Spirit, right now, as hands are lifted up, people receiving your presence, we ask you, would you increase your presence right now? Yeah. Would you increase what you're doing right now? We bless what you're doing. We bless what we're doing. God, I ask you for joy to be restored, for life to be restored. Some of you right now are going to begin to sense him increase his presence on you even more right now. Come Holy Spirit, more of you right now in Jesus' name. He loves you so much. God's lifting off burdens right now. Some of you are feeling things just roll off of you. The beautiful thing about work in the garden is that we work from rest, not for rest. The sweat of the brow only happens after the fall. And right now, some of you are working for things rather than from the rest of heaven. I, I really feel like this is what, where we need to go. If you're in a place where you just know you have been striving, you have been pressing hard, you have been working for approval, you've been working for breakthrough, you've been working for things, I want to invite you to come up to the front and just say, you know what, I'm coming to rest. I'm coming to enter into the rest that Jesus has already given me. For some of you right now, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do in a moment what you could never do through years of your own effort. And it's not just about getting to the breakthrough, it's about changing the posture of what it means to be a people of the garden. And so if you're just in a place where you just know, actually, do you know what, Julian, I have been working, striving for something that God's already given me. And I want to just come and receive afresh. 
I want to invite you to come up to the front. We're going to have some people ready to pray with you and to bless you. If you're feeling the presence of God, I need you to come up to the front. Just, just line up. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.